being the panhandle of Florida. Will you all give me a hand for Sam as he comes up here today for Storyteller Sunday? an idea, um, I try to be as persuasive as possible, and so I, I and as late as possible. Um, hey, Jakima was two days in advance, so, um, but I called Sam, and I said, hey, really, before you say no, and so, actually, I even pre-wrote a couple questions, because I want to make sure I get exactly uh, your story, not through my words, how's that? Um, I... Um, Sam, of course, is married to KK. You guys heard from KK when Jim did Storyteller Sunday, I think a month ago or two months ago. And, um, and her amazing story. And, of course, Sam's response is that, well, our stories are pretty much the same, but they're really not. And um, especially the beginning of your lives and before you guys met each other and came together. And I wanted Sam to tell a story because um, Sam, um, well, we'll just jump right into it. We'll start with questions. If you can... If you don't want to answer something, you just shake your head and I'll ask it in a different way to try to get the same answer. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, if you could describe us, what kind of like world did you grow up in? Uh, so I was born in North Alabama, like KKK North Alabama. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going straight in. And when I was six, moved to uh, the Panhandle, Florida, Fort Walton Beach area. I mainly grew up there, which is still a very southern part of Florida. Um, they call it Lower Alabama. Um, and I guess before I continue, I want to clarify, because I think these kind of conversations open up kind of bashing my upbringing. Uh, I want to be clear, though. I was very privileged to loving parents, never had to worry about food on the table, um, had a great upbringing. Uh, but it was very closed-minded. Um, and not really open to, to questions. So I grew up Southern Baptist, like acoustic guitar and hymnals. And then later on, we had a drum set, which was crazy. Um, so I kind of grew up there, very involved in the church. Um, I, I was the kid who would actually like read theology books for fun. Um, and in hindsight, it's gross almost. Um, because I was doing it just to be to be better than everybody. That's not what, anyway. That's how I was raised in broad terms. That's a really great start. <laughs> um, um, in your in kind of the closed-minded environment that kind of goes with a territory, not necessarily always a familial thing, but maybe a regional thing or an area of where you grow up. What um, what was your exposure to things that were different? Uh, or people that were different. It was very minimal because in when we moved to to the Panhandle, Florida, I uh, was privileged enough to go to a charter school, which was a, a nicer school. Um, and in my grade, there was uh, one student of color um, in, in my entire grade. And I, I remember having a conversation, probably in the fourth or fifth grade, with a friend of mine. And that friend said, "Hey, Quentin over here isn't a Christian." And that blew my mind. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I thought everybody was on the exact same page. And that was the extent of any diversity in my life until high school. 
you know, when, when I actually went to a bigger public school and, and saw how the real world, saw a very small part of the real world. Yeah, so now you know why I have him up here, and that's a good, good setup because there's a lot of people that grow up in a certain environment um, that are taught certain things who just have limited exposure to things that are different, and not every one of those people, I believe, are, you know, out to harm people. Um, as a matter of fact, there's, there's some of those people that just simply have not had the opportunity to, to meet and experience relationship with people that don't look like them, don't go to the same church as them, like I say, don't vote like them, and even don't love like them. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted Sam to be up here, and that's a really good good foundation because considering where you attend church now, there's been a journey, an epic, very, very <laughs> crossed a lot of territory in this journey. So can you remember or pinpoint back maybe a moment where things began to shift for you or where you started asking questions? So I'd actually kind of forgot this until KK reminded me. Uh, but when we were dating my freshman year, or after my freshman year of college, um, I did an internship back at my home church uh, with the youth pastor, whose also name is Sam. Um, I love him. He married us. He's a great guy. Um, and over that summer, the youth group was going over Revelation. And I grew up essentially believing that Revelation was left behind. Exactly. Um, and I actually thought a dude named Nikolai Carpathia was going to take over the world. Um, and, and so we, I did this internship with, with Sam, and he pretty much approached Revelation at a, in a very metaphorical point of view um, and pretty much turned a lot of my beliefs around, which at the time had never happened. And it, for Revelation, it's pretty inconsequential. Um, but that was the first time I would, I, I would go home. She was doing a summer camp in West Palm Beach. And I would go home at night, and we'd FaceTime at, like, 10 o'clock at night, and I'd just talk about, like, hey, I thought this, and that was really dumb, and explain the new things I'd figured out. So I, that was kind of the first time I'd allowed myself to say, hey, mom and dad, sorry, I disagree, and just go a different way, which just disagreeing in, in Revelation caused a bit of drama with my family. Um, and, and then moving on, we, we, COVID happened. Uh, which sucked, and during COVID, because we were up in North Alabama, North, gosh, North Florida, and so nobody really took it seriously, so I was still working during COVID um, at a guitar shop in my hometown, and a co-worker of mine, also named Sam, a different Sam, um, when he says everyone is the same, <laughs> this is a whole new level, all right? <laughs> but this co-worker was the first left-leaning person I think I'd ever met in my life. Um, and that was right around the time George Floyd happened and BLM kind of got back into the um, mainstream. And at least from my point of view. And he kind of explained like, hey, I, th I think that these aren't all a bunch of thug looters and whatever. Like there's, there's reasoning behind this. And it didn't take a lot of just hearing the other point of view from a human being to kind of make me question the beliefs I already had. Whereas if it was online from a political pundit, I would have shut off immediately. It was just a face-to-face -face contact. 
uh, that made a huge difference. And then we moved, we got married in my parents' backyard because COVID. Um, we moved down here. I took a job teaching at a school. Um, that was a mistake, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, and then we kind of church hopped for a while trying to find a church. Um, and we started out, we had some ties at a local Baptist church because I'd played some gigs there before. Um, but we hopped around a few Baptist churches. And that was the first time I noticed well, I guess I'd, I'd noticed, but the first time socially I realized, hey, people look at KK differently than they look at me. Because um, we'd walk into these Baptist churches and heads would just turn and kind of follow. Um, and there was even one, you didn't tell the, the singing story, did you? Okay. There was one Baptist church, uh, a friend of a friend hooked us up with the pastor. Um, and we went and visited and they wanted us to kind of help grow the young adult ministry is how they worded it. They wanted us to start a whole separate service and stuff. But uh, but he knew KK sang, but he'd never heard her. So he said, hey, we want to introduce you next Sunday and have you sing a song. And she said, cool, just pick a song. And he picked the biggest, like, black gospel song you've heard in your life. And I love KK, but she's not a gospel singer. But he just saw Brown and thought gospel. Um, so a lot of little experiences like that just kind of turned us off from church for a while. Um, the only other church we went to was a little Methodist church because they were paying me to play acoustic, paying me really well. And they had a woman pastor, which was just a big no-no. Um, <laughs> but they were paying me. Um, <laughs> uh, but all these little things of, of, of witnessing like, hey, I think lots of these churches and the way they kind of treat people might be kind of screwed up. And then going to a church with a female pastor and her like being a really sweet person who doesn't think she's better than everybody um, and stuff like that. And so it was lots of little things. Um, and then I guess the last kind of straw before we came to Harvest was we found the podcast of Harvest, Harvest Sermons where you did the sermon about a trans woman wanting to take communion um, and how and the, and the way you could have told the story, there's no way I could step in front of her and just say, no, sorry, this isn't for you. Um, whereas before, I could have done it, no problem, you know. And I thought I would have been doing the right thing because you weren't prepared for communion because you're living a sinner's life, you know. Um, and then we came to Harvest and met actual gay people. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, hey... <laughs> Just to be clear, he's not talking about me. Just to be clear, <laughs> I just dress like it, all right? Um, and it, 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 we met people who didn't fall in these boxes, we thought, and we said, hey, this is a gay couple, and they're super nice. And they're, like, not perverted, and they're not, they're not whatever. They're just really cool people. I mean, and and, and, and then seeing them worship together it was, it was something that, that I had never seen before. So it was just kind of the process of, of being exposed to things I never would have. Because after I saw things face-to-face, it didn't take long um, to really change, change my mind. Um, and then we had to kind of go through the process of, okay, here's how we fill in our hearts. Let's try and reconcile, reconcile it with the Bible, which was a whole mess um, with how we were raised. This is so raw and authentic and beautiful. It's a story that needs to be told. I really do believe it. And 
I'm not, we're not ending yet. I know you wish we are, but we're not ending yet. But I just want to say, like, this is very brave, what you're sharing. And you're being so authentic about things. It's not easy to say I grew up in an extremely bigoted, you know, narrow environment. Um, you know, like, it's not easy to say this stuff, Sam. So thank you for being so raw, because I believe it'll help some people um, on their journey. Amen. Um, so you were raised, uh, you were raised how you were raised, not necessarily specifically by your parents, but by the community, by the church people around you, by your friends, by the schools you attended, all that contributes to your worldview, of course, your limited access to different, right? All of that. Uh, and then you married a person of color and I know we're backing up. Um, and you, and you kind of shared a little bit about how you noticed people looked at or treated you differently. Can you expound on that a little bit more? It was... And the only reason I'm saying it is that because half of the people in the room are like, yeah, and half of the people in the room are like, what? And so I want the people that are going, what, to understand your real-world experience with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was lots of really subtle things, um, like just being looked at funny or, or being asked to sing gospel music. Um, and then, you know, even from, because KK's mixed, so she has a white side and a black side of the family, even, even some kind of racial tension from the black side of her family that I never would have thought about. And, and not having thought of it, I probably could easily have said lots of ignorant things that would be destructive. Um, coming from, I think, at least from my point of view, would have been a good place. Um, I say that lightly. Um, I, I, I think that me growing up and my family did genuinely think that they were right um, and that they were doing what was best for people. Um, I, kind of like um, like for a, for a kid maybe. You, you, you punish them because it's best for them. They don't understand, but this is best for them. And I think we had that point of view. Um, and so I, 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 I like to stay away from words like bigoted, maybe, depending on the person. But like my, my, my mom, for example, she had a co-worker for a while um, who was a lesbian woman. And that was a, a big deal. Um, and, and the longer they worked together, the, the kind of higher she spoke about her her coworker, and uh, she said, you know, given, because her coworker had, had been abused by a man before um, she uh, started dating women, um, and she said, well, given given my coworker's experiences, I, I totally understand how she could, like, be in this lifestyle, but it's still it's still wrong. You know, that kind of point of view. Um, I totally got off track from the race thing, didn't I? No, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this is good. It's because these are real thoughts that many people in this room either had or said growing up. Yeah. That, that had um, been challenged. That's fine. Well, I, I guess the point I was trying to make was, was I, I think that most people are trying to do the best they can with what they have. Uh, I was talking to a, a family member of mine, one of my siblings, um, who was kind of questioning um, our new kind of worldview. Um, and she'd made an offhand comment. Oh, I said she, dang it. I didn't mean to do that. Um, made an offhand comment saying, well, I would never believe what you believe, but explain it to me. Um, and I would have, I mean, four years ago, I was buying merchandise from my favorite far-right political pundits. I mean, um, <laughs> I was as, as far 
as I could be and easily would have said, I never would have thought this. I think the simple difference is that family member hasn't had the experiences I've had. The experiences I've seen others have. Because um, I've had a very mild and easy experience being who I am. Um, I, th- I think a lot of these people who we can easily look at as the bad guys or bigoted or evil are really just narrow-minded is probably the better way to put it. And that causes so much harm. But I guess I'm in a place now where I'm trying to reconcile what, where I am now thinking I'm right and where I was thinking I was right. That's really good. I have one more question for you. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's here or somebody who's watching um, who is just deadlocked on maybe some of the things that you mentioned were, were your ideas or thoughts or worldviews before, um, who may begin may be beginning to have experiences with people, genuine experiences with people that doesn't line up with their theology? What, what, would you, what advice would you give them having come through some of that? The, the first thing that comes to mind is quoting something I saw on Facebook. Where it's essentially, Classic. I mean, but it, 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 I think it just verbalizes something that I maybe would have thought. Just the idea of I would much rather have incorrect theology and treat people well than have perfect theology and treat people poorly. Um, and I, it's as simple as, as most of these what we would call bigoted thoughts come from biblical roots. And the fact is, we're going to get what we want out of reading the Bible. You can, you can get the most bigoted things out if you want. You can get the most loving things out of it if you want. Um, I guess that, that if your experience isn't lining up with, like if, if what you see in front of you isn't lining up with what you read from a book, one of those is probably a little more legit than the other. I mean, that's pretty much it. That's good. Come on, would you give Sam a hand for me? Will you do that? Amazing. Thank you. So good. Thank you. That's amazing. That's a guts, so thank you. Really did. Yeah, that's amazing. I've always been this loving, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I don't know if I can handle it, but when I told somebody, because normally we like to have a male and a female, or sometimes we'll have both females, or we'll have a person of color. Like, I try to mix up the diversity. This time we have two white guys. Um, And, um, but that being said, um, we decided that we would just call this morning Country Boy Sunday, okay? And this is country, but this is country, all right? So you welcome to Kima as he comes up. We actually, we actually kind of match, but it would be hard not to do with all the collars on your shirt. So one. Based on the smattering of applause and uncomfortable laughter, you probably need to take Ken's class at McCurdy's. That's all I'm saying. All right. Your timing was off. That's great. Um, I didn't know they made shrink wrap in that color, so thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Even. 
Ken, tell him he doesn't want to mess with me, all right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have any questions for you. I didn't write any pre-answers because this is going to just be a mess to start with. There's no organizing it. So tell us where you grew up. <laughs> so I would just like to say I can't believe the place of diversity you come from, Sam. It's huge. So uh, I actually uh, I come from a very small town in Virginia. It's uh, actually I associate with Honeaker, but that's the town. I'm from Sorge Creek. So it sounds like a big city. It's not. Uh, it's right in between Richlands and Honeaker. And we Two places no one has heard of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is still in the town next to us an annual KKK parade. So, uh, so whenever I say zero percent diversity, I didn't see a person of color color until I was six. Um, nobody was openly out in my area. There was zero zero percent diversity. Um, however, I come from a very um, uh, like Sam. I come from the two most amazing parents in the world. Uh, my m- mother and father. They are just the most wonderful, wonderful people. Um, so special, so special. Uh, my mom, uh, they were always at every ball game we had, always encouraged us, always. My father was a coal miner. Uh, he pastored just on the side and did it for free. It wasn't anything. It wasn't a job. It was just something he did. But um, I remember as a kid thinking every father wanted to hear that uh, their son wanted to be what they wanted to uh, were when they grew up. And I said, I want to be a coal miner like you, Dad. One of the most aggressive, because my dad was a very passive person, grabbed me aggressively, turned me around, and goes, you will never be a coal miner. I do not work this hard for you to ever go into a mine. You will get an education, and you will make something of yourself. And then my mom made sure and provided that way. So come from a very, very amazing family. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. So I guess my next question is, then what happened? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I won't do jokes the whole time, but it is very tempting. You're about to see self-control like you have never seen before. Okay. Uh, so, so we need prayers. <laughs> so you grew up uh, obviously there. What 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 started? Because um, you grew up in a Pentecostal church. Right? Yes. So let's describe that to folks that don't know what that looks like. So I grew up in a very very charismatic Pentecostal church in which um, it was, we had probably about 50 to 60 people originally. I, it started out, I started out with a female pastor. So to me, it was so odd as a world concept finding out that because all the leaders of my church were female. So I was so confused whenever I went away and people were like, you're going to hell because you have a female pastor. And I'm like, what? She's amazing. Have you ever heard her? And she was always my hero growing up. Every school paper I wrote, everything, she was my hero. Um, We did a um, very, very involved in the church. My parents actually wanted to leave. uh, They actually left for a little bit. I would not leave that church. I loved that church, the worship center. Um, So I was very, very involved. I had an amazing leader. Her name was Linda, um, and I'm going to actually call her name because she is absolutely wonderful. I still watch her church services um, on Sundays. Um, she did her worship, but she took interest in us as uh, preteens, as teenagers at a very, very early age, and that's where my spirit of worship comes from. That's where kind of um, 
just my desire in ministry, everything came from. She she took that interest and actually took the time to focus on us. So I see the importance of that. Um, so I just always had this love for church, love for God. I wanted to go, even whenever my parents weren't going over to the same church that we were, me and my sister went to that same church. Um, and then my parents came back, and then at about 12, um, my, uh, my pastor at the time, just realized that they were kind of over the church and said on, said, I said on the uh, steps of the church and pray that it burns down and I'm, I'm leaving left without a pastor left without anybody. So set up a council over the church and the church is literally, uh, from about here to, uh, the actual, to the learning center from my house. So it's literally, I walk out the door and I'm at the church. Uh, so, I, I didn't want to leave, and I was already, I was uh, ministering, I was 12, uh, they, would, uh, they would let me minister and everything from time to time, and so I loved this place, and I didn't want to go anywhere, so my parents were like, we're going to keep this open, we're going to continue this, so uh, they set up a council to oversee the church, you want to see a mess in a church, put a council over it instead of a pastor. I can promise you, you will see a mess. And we had got down to about five, uh, to about seven people. And um, that's whenever I really, um, I, I learned, I have a compassion for what you do. I have compassion for anybody that's in leadership of a church because you see people can treat you awful throughout that time period. And people are not nice. You do. It's very rare that you hear kind messages or things. So, my dad ended up taking over the pastorship of it, and the church grew back, and I began to see from what I did, because we were the ones, you lay your hands on the head, you have people falling out. You would have, our church services lasted for about two and a half hours every Thursday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. So, um, so very, very long services. You didn't come out of there without sweating down, you had about an hour long altar call, praying for deliverance, praying for healing, praying for, but you believed in a very, very specific way, even to the point that if you were not baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to hell. Like, if you were baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you're sorry, we'll pray for you, uh, but you're deceived. So, very, very... um, very, very just um, strict, strict views. I remember my dad, at one time I was 17, and my radio was on classic rock in my car, and he got in to move it, and he goes, he came up knocking on my door, why are you listening to that garbage? Like, everything was wrong in a sin. And then I'll let you ask another question to get to where I came to. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, Dan. Why are you so weird? <laughs> so uh, uh, what would be a major conflict in, in that space entered into your life? What was that? So, Is that a good way to ask it? <laughs> so, well, it's kind of twofold. Well, clearly, uh, anybody who knows my story now, so uh, uh, being a gay male, coming out afterwards in life, that caused some conflict. But before that, I had already starting to see um, there was actually a, a 
one of our teenagers who was, um, she had gotten pregnant. Um, and it's actually a really heartbreaking story for me because I, I, it's one of those moments in life that I wish that I had done something different. Um, I didn't know uh, at the time, I wish I had a, jumped into fence and all that stuff at a very hurting time in life for them, which the church should have come around and supported and held and just really been there and shown that love and shown who God really was. Uh, I saw her kind of be cast aside and the family left the church because, and I, I never understood that broke my heart. And I began to sit there and that's whenever I really started to question with God, I'm like, how can this be love? How can this be who you are? Whenever I see that hurt and right now she needs you most. It wasn't, uh, it's not sitting there saying a mistake. It's not sitting there saying it's somebody who loves you. I know she loves you and you love her. Why, why can't the church love? So then I'm in, I'm in college at this point, and then I go to a very liberal uh, a, a school for my master's, Appalachian State, and that's where my, I think my parents really wish they had never sent me there uh, because that's where... How liberal can Appalachian State be? Well, clearly you can't even say it right, so Appalachian State, I'm going to teach what you... What did I say? Appalachian. Is that what I said? La- yeah. It's Appalachian. You're going to school me on how yes, to... Yes, I am. And here, can we get a translator up here, please, for him? Thank you. So, so uh, we sit there, and I go, and we start hearing about, like, climate. I start hearing about climate change. I start hearing about we build a windmill on campus and all this. And my parents, and I'm like, no, this is awesome. Cold's going to run out one day. Wow, like that was my first sin that I committed, I think, was sitting there. And mind you, I didn't drink at this. I had never drank at this point, like all this stuff. Like I, whenever I lived by what I believed, I fully lived by what I believed. Um, I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. And so I would sit there and I would go to, so I started getting more, I was exposed to people. There was a, a, um, a girl who had actually worked in the sex industry for years that was in my class and all this stuff. And I'm just like, my mind is blown. And, but I, I start having that humanistic approach to people. I start having conversations with people. I start experiencing diversity all at the same time, knowing myself, knowing and being afraid of uh, my identity, being afraid of just uh, people knowing, people seeing, people coming out. So instead of sitting there and being loving and embracing anything that I was afraid of people seeing in me, I would sit there and I would, um, I would go against it. I can't believe that there, I can't believe that just nasty. I, I won't touch that keyboard because a gay person touched that keyboard. Like, I mean, it was that bad and that extreme, but it all came from internal fear of, I don't want people to see in me what it's truly there. So, I'm sitting there and all of this comes on, uh, happens and all this. And my parents are already really at this point, even nervous of me. I, whenever I went back to the church from there, I no longer worked with the youth anymore because my parents felt like I had gotten such a liberal mind from, uh, from going to college that they wanted, uh, 
I, I didn't work with the youth. So um, I ended up, I got a job and I moved to Sarasota, Florida down here in 2010. So I've been here for 13 years now. November 29th made 13 years. Um, and I began, I still kept trying to live that lifestyle. I went to a Jesus only is what it's called church, an apostolic church, um, very Pentecostal, very, but they had views that I would just, it even went beyond like it was the women you couldn't have a woman pastor with a sin. And I, I just didn't agree with that. Like that was, I'm like, no, like, and so I'm sitting here trying to change them. I'm like, listen to this message from, from my former pastor and all this, because I wanted them to hear it so bad because I'm like, how can you deny that that's not of God? And so, but still through fear and everything. And I dated and my best friend you'll meet in life. Shelby is my ex-girlfriend. Uh, one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet in life. And I, um, dating her all throughout this, knowing the internal conflict. And then I go home, uh, and I'm at the church. I end up leaving. There was some, um, deception that happened there. Um, and I ended up leaving and I, I went home, uh, for, uh, for winter break. And my, I remember sitting there, this was such a specific moment for me because there was, uh, it was the, uh, ball drop on new year's Eve sitting with my family and um, Ellen and a group of people are hosting. I can't even tell you who anybody else is, but Ellen was being so nice and kind. And they, I mean, the other people were being so mean and rude. And I remember my my mother saying, um, "It's crazy that the that the a woman that's in sin is being so nice, but that's how the devil works, isn't it? He always sits there and he puts up enough of a front to have you deceived." While I'm sitting here on the couch thinking, I'm going home to break up with the person that I'm with because I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, so definitely let a huge fear. And then that all happened. I met someone. I started dating someone. It was a very, very, uh, very bad relationship. But two weeks in until three years and two months, there was not a day. And I'm not saying just like one I'm not saying it happened every once in a while. It was every single day I was told I was pathetic. I was a piece of that. Um, my family didn't love me and all this because during this time I'd come out to my family. And I heard this every day for years. Mind you, coming out to my family, my mother says, just I would rather you. And uh, I think um, I, Harvey was such a good question the other day because I heard that I would rather you never set foot in church to, than to pretend like you're something you're not. So I took that and I became so angry at God, so angry at God, that I became somebody that I, I, I didn't like. I hated who I became. Because whenever you've been raised in that and you have that, you've had that connection and you've met God and you know that experience with God, and then now God hates you and you were created this way and you're trying your best to reconcile that in your own mind, let alone trying to get everybody else to realize that. And you're getting messages nonstop telling you, I'm so disappointed in you. I, I wish I had a never. And mind you, this wasn't the people from my dad's church. Everybody in my dad's church would be like, we hope you come home and bring your partner sometime, except for my parents. Um, and uh, they were just a beautiful group of people, amazing people. And my parents, Sam, and I love the point that Sam brought because it is so true. 
It is not at all that they're hateful, that they were mean. It was my mother's biggest fear in life. My mom won't my mom won't even go back and complain if somebody does her wrong because she said I would rather I would rather just let it go and make it into heaven than make a big deal and risk my risk uh, going to hell. So her biggest fear is hell in every way. So everything that she's believed is, and her biggest fear, she now believes that that's me. So it's not that she's she's the most loving mother in the world. I've seen her do. I've seen my mom be a mom at times that it was not easy for her to be a mom. So it's not that it's bigoted. It's not that it's mean. It's that it really is from a place of fear. So what was the low point for you in that time? I think the low point for me is I sit there and I put the blame on everybody else because I would try, I would go to different churches and actually right as, right as I got out of that one relationship, kind of entered another one that was, uh, that was kind of bad. And I actually came to harvest, uh, in 2017 because I wanted, I missed that place with God. I would literally get out instruments. I would play music. I would sing my neighbors. I lived in an apartment. They hated me. So, um, because you know, I'm pretty quiet anyway, so you don't really hear me. So I put on concerts for everybody. Everybody did worship when I did worship in their building. So, um, so I would sit there, and Peggy does not know this at all, but Peggy actually ministered uh, the second time that I came to Harvest back in 2017. I came three times. That's what brought me back. I literally had such a place for your mother, because I didn't hear you, you speak during that time period. Um, or I wouldn't have been back. Irrelevant. I wouldn't have come back. No. <laughs> but no, so I literally... Just the love that I felt through the message that Peggy spoke, her words, her the way everything was just so beautiful, and I felt loved without ever speaking a word to Peggy. And Peggy is one of my heroes in life, by the way. Uh, so I I think you are such an amazing, amazing person and beautiful person. And I literally, I remember that, but I was with somebody who literally said, I don't want to, uh, I, I won't come, I won't go back to that church. I don't see anybody there I'd be friends with. They're too loud. Actually, the, uh, who sung, as long as I got King Jesus was, was like, I, they just kept singing the same thing over and over again. And I was just like, I loved it. Cause after I left the other church, I went to an all black church and I was the only, and that was my first time kind of feeling out of place in a place. Um, and it was an eye opening experience and it was a really good experience for me to have, but I remember loving it, but it wasn't my season yet to be here. So I, I sat there and I came for three services and then I ended up going someplace else. And I actually knew somebody who worked at the church and I kept asking them, I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm gay. And they're like, no, it's okay. Like I work here, like all that. And I'm like, yeah. And then I went to other churches and being asked to leave all that, or told that I I could come there, but you'll never work here. You'll never work here. You'll never do anything. And whenever I'm not, I'm not one of those people that I believe that I'm a supporter in a church. I am there to encourage. I'm there to support. I am there to sit there and help where I'm needed. That is, I am as much as I, and if you want to, uh, Jim, this would be a good time to interrupt me because I'm about to say something nice. Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> so I sat there and um, I believe that I am here because I believe so much in the vision that you carry. Um, one of the changing moments for me in my life was you really helped to reconcile where I was at and that word of God uh, in the word of God what I was hearing in society and then my own internal cognitive dissonance that was going taking place. Like, how do I make this work? Um, And whenever I believe that God has called me to sit there and be a support to the church and help wherever, help support that vision that you carry. And so whenever you're going to places and you can't, you can't, you don't really believe in what's being said, but you want to find God and experience that community with people. Um, it just, so I would just go to church and like dip out to answer your question, because I ramble too, if you want to put that up there. Um, uh, so to get to that low point in between this time, so that I'd come here, I'd come to harvest. I'd went to all these other churches. I kept getting more and more distant with God. And I was so angry, but I pointed the finger at everybody else. I was going out. I was, I was out of my head, wasted every weekend. I was going to all these places. I didn't feel like I fit in any place. I was just, I was literally making choices that were not who I was raised to be, and I had become a person that I hated. Yet I blamed everybody else. It was everybody else's fault that this was happening. That this, and then. In 2020, I've shared, uh, I just finally got to the point that I, I didn't want to live anymore. I, I told somebody, I'd reached out to some people. Now that I look back at it, I probably didn't say the right words at all. I would just, I thought I was telling them what I was feeling, but I really wasn't. And um, I, on the way home one night, the person that I was with at the time, I sat there and I told them, I said, this is how I'm feeling. I think I, I want to. I, I feel like I want to um, kill myself, all of this. And they were like, you're not going to kill yourself. Just do it if you're going to. They walked out the door. I grabbed the knife, cut my wrist, and tried to end it, begged not not to save me, all that. Um, and so um, at that point, thank the Lord I survived. Thank God that, I, that he saw that he had a bigger plan and a better plan because I was so hopeless. And I think that's one of the biggest things when you lose hope, whenever you don't have that, see that future, um, they're just, that's the lowest point you can get. You're numb. And I think being numb is the worst feeling you could be. Even feeling sad, feeling anything at all is better than being numb because at least you process, you deal with it, you go through it. So there might be people watching or even here today that are feeling that. What would you say to them? I would say that I promise, and this is from a lived experience, I promise things get better. I promise that the lies that you've heard, and I think that as a church, and that's why I support this ministry so much, is because a lot of the things that we feel about ourselves are here are because of the words that are around us. And I remember one of the, the messages that I, whenever I first came back, because I came back, it's been almost two years now. Uh, one of the first messages you did was being content. 
being content and how we're not content. We're always wanting because society's always putting ads up. Society's always telling us more and more, you're not this, you're not that, you're not. But being content in who we are in God. And then I think finding who God truly is. I read the Old Testament, and we always talk about the Old Testament God, the New Testament God, all of that. Um, I read the Old Testament, and I see a completely different God than I used to see reading it. I see a people, because I sit there and I think, oh, my, my best day, no matter how, anybody that I know, no matter how holy they are, you got some issues, and you're sitting there, and you get angry, and you you have all these different emotions that go into it. And they're here writing the text of who God is. So you go from, I abide under the shadow of the Almighty and in his wings to sitting there, and God wants us to war on this nation and all this stuff. And I see a lot of personal things. I don't see God changing. I see as you talk about so much, that perception of God. And I think we need to take that perception of God, take ourselves out of it and look at who God truly is and how he looks at us. And that changes the way that it doesn't matter what somebody in society thinks about you. I, I used to be at the point, it used to, um, it used to be really difficult if somebody was like, say a negative message or post something negative on Facebook about uh you lead and letting sinners do this and all that because I would take that so personally. But then whenever I saw what God really feels about me, like Jose and uh, 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 like Jamie sang today, whenever I saw see that, that changes how you identify as yourself and uh, really gives you back that I I do have hope for that future. I do have that. So yes, good. I have two more questions. We're a little. A little over time, but I have two more questions, uh, so make them quick. Um, the answers. Um, the first one is, where? What are you doing today? Tell tell them about where you work and what you do. So uh, I work um, I work at Ringling College of Art and Design, which is such an amazing place. Um, I was truly, truly blessed by coming here and my uh, coming um, here. Uh, getting that position. I knew the second I interviewed, this is where I'm supposed to be. I didn't get the first job I interviewed for, and I was so, so lost on that because I'm like, that's where I'm supposed to be. But I, I get the opportunity to work with students. Uh, I work a lot in student care, student conduct now, Title IX. So students who have went through a lot of, uh, a lot of um, whether it be sexual assault, harassment, a lot of traumatic experiences, a lot of triggering experiences, and providing support in that. Also a lot with the engagement side of it. So um, with uh, Rick and Wellness activities, Jose's two offices, the doors down from me. So I, I was actually uh, telling Sequoia, uh, the person who sits in between us, uh, here's Jose singing, which is beautiful. Here's me singing a song at the same time, which is not as beautiful as having both those noises. So pray for Rachel. She, she needs it. Um, so, but... <laughs> Yeah, pray for Rachel. So, but we sit there and um, so, and really looking to foster, um, we really, really, because we are a p- private institution, thank God. So we are, we've not fallen under some of these. So we really work to promote 
the diversity and inclusion of everybody and making sure that every single person knows, feels accepted and knows that they are beautiful the way they are so that they don't have to go through that, that kind of point that I'd gotten to in life where I, I didn't want to live because I didn't like who I was. Yeah. One more and then we'll close. Um, how does God see Jakima today? Probably better than I do, but how does God, <laughs> through the eyes of God, how does God see Jakima? I think, I think God sees Jakima the exact way that God sees every single person, every one of his creations. Just like I said, whenever I was talking about my mother and whenever I said she was a mother, whenever it was difficult, whenever things weren't easy, I saw her be a mother. I think that that's how God looks at us. He sits there and he made us. He didn't sit there and say, hey, I made a mistake with that one. Why, why did they do that? I don't think God plays chess game. We have this in our minds. God plays chess games with the devil to see if he can win, if he can get this. If That's not God. God sits there and he looks at us and he sees his creation. And I do believe just like a parent, he sits there and goes, Come on, come on. And I love in Zephaniah, it says that he sings over us. And I think the song changes just like, like the song changes with, uh, we change the song and the background music with us. I think that song changes um, depending on what we're going through in life. And the God that sings over us isn't sitting there saying, hey, I, you messed up. You're an awful person. I want nothing to do with you. I cast you aside. That's the perception that the world's put. I think the God that looks upon us says, I love you. I love you. You're better than this. You did this. C come on, do better. Come on. And sing that song over us in our times that we're hurt, that song of comfort. In the times that we're down, the song of joy. The times that we're sick, the song of healing. And I think that God sees us as his perfect creation and that he loves us more and more. And I think he is proud and he wants to see. I, I believe he is more proud today of the love that's being shown that he's come because I didn't have love whenever I was going through that time period. I was so angry and was so, um, my words, I use my words to hurt a lot. And I believe that kind of after my, my father passed in 2020 and my dad had such a love about him and I realized that love, that kindness is missing in the world so much and that's who God is. And I believe through here, through this church, I have got to see that experience of God and I feel bad for those who haven't got to the bigoted, whatever terms we use to say, the narrow-minded, the ones that have not had that true experience with God to see how truly loving he really can be. It's sad. Because whenever you see how loving God is, you can't help but to love. Yeah, that's good. I have one more special thing. I, I prepared something special for you. I wanted to do this. Church, you can help me out. Can you turn my guitar on, Dave? I would like to play a song for you. I don't even know what song this could be. I know I pick on you a lot, and so I thought I'd undo it with this. I was excited. 
honky-tonk, but... I want to say this to you real quickly. Um, first of all, wonderful stories, both of them today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, thank you. So good. Um, before we leave, before we leave today and we get to decorating the Christmas party and all that, I just want to say to you that, uh, you know, these stories remind me of something that I feel like is oftentimes fleeting, at least for me. And that is the idea that people can change. People, all of us can learn. All of us can experience and challenge ourselves. And the day we stop doing that is the day really we are what the Bible describes as lukewarm. You know, that's really the definition of it. And to see lives that have changed over time and are not done changing reminds us that every person in this room should be, should carry the same mindset, that we would be open to understanding more of who God is, how we see one another. Are we being the most loving version of ourselves, not just towards others, but towards the person that God's entrusted us with? So today, I just thank you guys. I appreciate it. Two beautiful stories. And you can stand to your feet. We'll pray together. Thank you. I love you both so much. And Sam, you never get on my nerves. I'll give you at least 36 hours notice. Lord, we thank you today. We're humbled by these stories. Even the moments that we feel the tension, the wrestling, even the uncomfortableness that some of this stuff, these ideas, these thoughts even exist today in a modern age. And we're so grateful that you, you found each and every one of us at a point in our lives where such a narrow focus. You've taught us over time to challenge ourselves. And as we learn more about one another, learn to love each other better, learn to create community better, learn to really look out for each other, especially when we see somebody who seems to be put on the outside of the circle. We, uh, we challenge ourselves to be the change, to be different so that we can get a pat on the back, but so that we can do what each one of us needed at one time or another in our lives. And that is somebody that would just love us and include us. And so today I thank you for these humbling stories and for the beauty of redemption, the beauty of growth and clarity and the kindness and the grace of God. We receive it together. We leave her today challenged truly. We thank you, Father. In your name we pray and everyone says, Amen. In just a couple minutes, we'll transition to decorating time as our folks take charge here, and then we'll have a little party later on. So God bless you. We'll see you. See you around. Thank you.